Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Minas Tirith Archives History of Middle Earth podcast, where we delve deep into the history of Middle Earth. My name is Phil, and I will be your guide for these upcoming adventures. I will also be joined by my wife, Julia, from time to time, and Ezra and Lane from an unexpected podcast have also agreed to hop on when possible, just to keep things more entertaining. This very first episode is brought to you by Travis Sigler of Weird Leather and Mead, where they bring you handmade leather goods and quality mead. So whether you're into cosplay or just want some cool leather accessories, be sure to check them out at weirdleatherandmead.com. Weird is spelled W-Y-R-D. Again, that's weirdleatherandmead.com. And also, I just have to give everyone an extra thank you right off the bat uh, who donated to the Kickstarter. Uh, you guys were so incredibly generous and made all this possible. And I will definitely be doing my best to make this podcast live up to the hype. You guys are seriously awesome. And to those who donated, uh, your rewards are being made as we speak. Unfortunately, the t-shirts have to do some weird fancy way, which takes longer than normal. But hopefully, by the time this actually airs, they'll be done, if not already on their way to you. Alright, so what is the History of Middle Earth podcast going to be about? Well, each week we will cover a new person, people group, or location and dive into as much detail as possible and explore the history. Uh, every topic will be divided up into different sections um, and really broken down. So like, for example, we're going to do um, have one post or podcast episode on Denethor, uh, one on Boromir, one on Faramir, one on just the Knights of Gondor themselves, including the Citadel Guards, uh, one on just the Rangers of Gondor for the north, one's on the south, um, one on the overall province of Gondor, um, and then each location therein, like Osgiliath and Nathilian, uh, Minas Tirith and the Rama Sakor, etc., so on. Um, so don't be alarmed if we cover an overall topic and you didn't hear about your favorite person or place yet, um, or it was just said in passing. Chances are it'll still make an appearance at some point. It's just depending on how long. Some of these are really long and really in depth, so we only do one at a time. Uh, the topics will usually, uh, be, well, the topics will actually be following along uh, with the chapters of the book and read along with the other podcasts. So if you haven't already, be sure to check out an unexpected podcast. It's a chapter by chapter reread of the Lord of the Rings series by two awesome guys, Ezra and Lane, and it's just a super fun podcast that goes deep into each chapter of the book. And the dudes are hilarious, and they're super fun to listen to. It's an awesome podcast. And uh, I think we're they're about a third of the way in, not even, uh, to the return of the king. Uh, so it's not too late. And then I think they are moving on to the Silmarillion next. But anyway, this podcast, as they go through, will pick the main person, place, or thing of the chapter and find out more about it or about them. And also, after each story, we will be going over your questions you send in. So if you have any questions about something that you'd like to be answered, or if I just mess something up, which I will do my best not to, but it might happen, uh, send it in to ministeritharchives at gmail.com, and we'll answer it on a following episode. Again, that's ministeritharchives at gmail.com. And no, there is no stupid question. I know it's people say that all the time, but like seriously though, I don't care if you forget the name of who made up the fellowship, or I don't know, something you may think is dumb or simple. Just be a pippin, don't be afraid to ask, and I will answer it, and I promise no shaming will come from me. 
Um, I'm just glad you want to learn more and you share my affinity with Lord of the Rings. So be it. You shall be the Fellowship of the Rings. Right. Where are we going? Keep in mind, I am not some crazy Tolkien guru that knows every last thing out there. Um, I'm just a guy that's kind of obsessive over Lord of the Rings and happen to know a good amount, but not everything. And if you have some super elaborate question, it may take longer to get to since I have to divide my time up between the Facebook page and the posts uh, on it, as well as the podcast and all the other questions coming in. Uh, so you, if you have something that needs a super in-depth explanation, uh, just be prepared for it to take a couple episodes or so for me to get to it. It might not, though, especially if I know the answer off the top of my head, or at least most of it, or you just catch me on a slow week for whatever. But just in case, just, you know, don't be alarmed. If you send it in, it will be read on the episode, I promise. And last thing before we get this podcast kicked off, this is not a spoiler-free podcast for those who have never seen the movies or more so read the books before. Sorry, but because we go into such detail and cover everyone's life from beginning to end or the long history of these locations, we usually end up covering the War of the Ring era and thereafter. So it's easier just to start from the beginning and go right through to the end and not leave out a huge chunk in the middle during the War of the Ring time frame. Alright, so the first thing we're going to do is go over some upcoming dates in Middle-earth history. Uh, so today, I'm recording this, it is Wednesday the 26th, and on this day, Frodo announces his plan to leave the Hobbiton and get out of town. Coming up on Sunday, which is the 30th, uh, Bilbo, Gandalf, and the dwarves spend their last day, or last night I should say, in Rivendell, and this is where we see Elrond examine Thorin's sword, and uh, later that night, the map uh, that he brought. Monday, July 1st, uh, a lot of cool things happen. Uh, first, that's uh, the morning that the company leaves. Thorin's company leaves Rivendell. Um, Aragorn and Arwen make their promise to each other to stay together forever. And actually, this is the same. That's the same day that they end up getting married as well. Frodo retires as mayor and is replaced with Will Whitfoot. And in kind of depressing news, this. Uh, well, July 1st is also the day that Samwise Gamgee's wife, Rosie, passes away. Uh, July 4th, the last day we'll cover, that's a Thursday, is the day that Boromir sets out from Minas Tirith and heads towards Rivendell. Alright, so now for the main topic you've all been waiting for. So if you peel back the front cover of The Fellowship of the Ring and turn to the first chapter, you'll find it's called A Long Expected Party. We meet a bunch of new characters in this chapter, like Frodo, Bilbo, Gandalf, and some others. Uh, but these would be never-ending episodes, like I said before, if we covered every new character or place every time. Uh, so we're going to start where the story of The Lord of the Rings starts off at. The Shire. The characters will be in the following chapter, so we'll grab them up then um, in the next episodes. And some of these history lessons will be pretty short, all depending on the character and their history. Um, so I will actually be doubling up on some of them. I think the first time that happens is like episode 7. It's going to be the, both the Barrow Downs and the Barrow Whites kind of combined. Um, a lot of cool info and everything, but it's just shorter than some others, like some of the main characters. Uh, the chapter recap. In chapter 1, 
Uh, we meet many new characters, like I said before, and we get a pretty brief description of the Shire and these hobbit beings that live there. It's Bilbo's 111th birthday. And they throw him a huge party where he then says his goodbyes, puts on a, his ring, and disappears. He ends up back at Bag End where Gandalf meets him and they discuss Bilbo's plan to leave for Rivendell. Uh, Bilbo goes back and forth about leaving the ring and then reluctantly leaves it behind as he's about to walk out the door. Gandalf uh, then and Frodo then meet up where Gandalf explains what's going on and introduces Frodo to his new fancy ring, telling him to keep it secret, keep it safe, until he can learn more about it. Alright, so on to the Shire. The Shire, homeland of almost all the hobbits in Middle-earth. Located in the northwestern portion of Middle-earth in the northern region of Eriador within the remains of the Kingdom of Arnor. The capital of the Shire is Mickledelving, which was the largest town in the Shire and was located on the western edge of Westfarthing, out in the White Downs off the Great East Road. This was also the voting location for their mayor, where their famous Matham House was, as well as the lock holes. The lock holes are basically what we would just consider storage units today, but were unfortunately for them used as the jail when Saruman occupied the area in the Third Age, year 3019. And some of his prisoners include Lobelia Sackville Baggins, which nobody cares about anyway, uh, but also Fredegar Bolger and Will Whitfoot. <clears throat> the Shire was settled by hobbits in the Third Age, uh, 1601, which is actually just year one in Shire Reckoning. The years basically start when the Shire was kind of founded, um, or settled, I should say. The hobbits originally li lived in the Vale of Anduin and had migrated west over the Misty Mountains in the decades prior and lived in Dunland and parts of the lesser populated Arnor, Splinter Realms, Cardalon, and Rudar before coming to the Shire. It had been speculated that the hobbits had originally moved west to escape the evils of Mirkwood and the troubles caused by Easterlings, and either of which is pretty understandable. The Shire was originally divided into four farthings, North Farthing, South Farthing, East Farthing, and you guessed it, West Farthing. But Buckland and later West March were added in as well in the Fourth Age. Within the Farthings, uh, there were some smaller unofficial divisions, such as family lands, like nearly all the Tooks lived over or either in or near Tuckborough, for instance. Um, in many cases, a hobbit's last name indicates where their family came from. So like Samwise Gamgee's last name was derived from Gamwich, where the family originated. Outside the Farthings, Buckland itself was named for the Old Bucks, or later became the Brandy Bucks. The Shire was a small but beautiful and fertile land beloved by its inhabitants. The hobbits had an extensive agricultural system in the Shire but didn't really venture into industrialization. And they still had various supplies like cereals, fruit, wood, and pipeweed, of course, could be found in the Shire. By the Third Age, it actually ended up being one of the few heavily populated areas left in Eriador. Its name in Westron was Suza which translates to Shire, or Suzat, which translates to the Shire. Contrary to popular belief, the Shire was actually not the birthplace of Frodo Baggins. He was actually born in Buckland, which at the time was not a part of the Shire, even though it was colonized by Shire hobbits. <laughs> 
The Shire was part of the Arthedain, making it part of Arnor. The hobbits were granted official permission from King Argleb II at Norbury to settle in the Shire, which was not populated at the time and only really acted as the king's hunting grounds. The hobbits considered themselves to be subjects of the king and sent in some support troops to the great battles Arnor fought against the witch king of Agmar. For reasons unknown, Agmar did not attack the Shire after it conquered Arthedain. Tales claim that some hobbit bowmen were involved in the Battle of Fornost, um, although no tales of it exist in the records of men. After the fall of Arnor, the Shire remained a small but self-governing province of the Kingdom of Gondor, the Thane's office then representing the crown. The Brandywine River bound the Shire from the east. The Shire hobbits also lived in Buckland, which lay east of the river and west of the hedge, protecting the Shire from an invasion from the Old Forest, which we'll get more into that later on. However, Buckland was not formally recognized as part of the Shire until after the War of the Ring, when it was given officially to the Shire by Aragorn II, Elisar. From the north and south, or excuse me, the north and the west, the Shire had no topographical borders, rather it was just bounded by the ancient south and east roads, and by a vague geographical feature uh, such as the Tower Hills, and, well, everything's a tower to a hobbit. The Shire was quite densely populated in certain areas, with many villages and a few towns, but it was still open enough to allow for wide forested areas and marshes. From the west to the east, the Shire originally measured 40 leagues, which is about 120 Numenorean miles, uh, from the Far Downs to the Brandywine Bridge. Uh, from the north to the south, it measured 50 leagues, uh, 150 Numenorean miles, from the northern moors to the marshes in the south. The total area of the Shire must have extended roughly 20,000 square miles, which is a lot bigger than it seems in the movie. From the mouth of Gerard Tolkien himself, the climate of the Shire was very similar to that of England, cool but not overly cold winters, and with fairly warm summers. Rainfall was fairly frequent, uh, with snow being a bit more rare. Usually the Shire was warm enough in the winters that the rivers did not freeze over, except during the fell winter. I will say we do know it gets pretty hot there, because in the, I believe it's the scouring of the Shire chapter, uh, when they're all, all the hobbits are coming back in, and I think it's like Mary says something about how just crazy hot it seemed, um, be, and it was just like draining their energy because of the heat alone. Um, but anyway, according to the computer models used by the University of Bristol, the average temperature in Hobbiton was about 7 degrees Celsius, which equates to about 47 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which is actually pretty cold. But, oh well. The Shire's small size, uh, relative lack of importance in terms of geographical position, natural resources, or even concerning hobbits themselves, made it too modest an objective for conquest from the more dominant races of the East and South. More importantly, the Shire was guarded and protected by the Dúnedain rangers, who patrolled the borders and kept out intruders. Though Tolkien's notes say that many of the current hobbits of the Shire have grown so accustomed to this that they actually completely forgot about their protectors altogether. The small and limited government of the Shire did actually have its own voluntary police force known as sheriffs. 
that help to keep the Shire safe, usually just from trespassing beasts and collecting lost farm animals rather than from an actual enemy force coming through. There were three in each farthing and were distinguished from civilians by a feather worn on, in their caps. The bounders were the land's border guard charged with turning back unwanted people or beasts and their number varied according to need. Foreigners to enter the Shire were the dwarves uh, traveling on the great road that ran through the Shire to and from their mines in the Blue Mountains and the occasional elves in wandering companies on their way to the Grey Havens. Despite this, two battles were still fought in the Shire, the Battle of Greenfields and the Battle of Bywater. The Shire faced other adversities since it was inside the range of the Great Plague of TA 1636, and goblins from Mount Graham invaded the Shire until they were driven out after the Battle of Greenfields, which was in TA 2747. The Shire also suffered because of the long winter of TA 2758, soon followed by the Days of Dearth, TA 2760, and the Fell Winter, which was TA 2911, when the White Wolves entered the Shire, prompting the use of the Horn Call of Buckland. The Shire derived its laws from the authority of the king at Fornost. After Fornost fell, and the last king died, the hobbits appointed a thane to continue the authority of the missing king. The title of thane eventually passed to the head of the Took clan in Tuckborough. The thane commanded an armed force during emergencies, but otherwise really only had a symbolic role. The mayor of Mickledelving, elected once every seven years, was the highest office in the shire. The mayor was also the postmaster and the first sheriff uh, for the whole shire and empowered to summon a Shire Moot when the Shire is attacked. The Master of Buckland at Buckleberry ruled over Buckland, though still subject to the Thane and the King of Gondor, of course. Its relatively peaceful existence during the perilous period preceding the defeat of Sauron can be attributed to the vigilance of Gandalf and the rangers of the north led by Aragorn, who used daring tactics to keep evil at bay. However, when they had to leave for war in other lands, the Shire became essentially defenseless, which unfortunately is what led to its capture. But the damage which Saruman caused by forced industrialization was undone by the Hobbit's efforts, thankfully. The Shire was restored with soil from Lorien, given to Sam by Galadriel. Uh, the year SR 1420 was called the Great Year of Plenty and was considered by the inhabitants of the Shire to be the most productive and prosperous year in their history. Shortly after the first events that led to the War of the Ring, during autumn of the year 1419, the Shire was first visited by the Nine Ringwraiths who went as far as Hobbiton and then it was captured by Saruman. It was liberated with the help of Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin after Saruman, known then as Sharky, was killed in the Battle of Bywater, which officially brought the War of the Ring to an end. In the year six of the Fourth Age, the Shire became a free land, a protected enclave inside the reunited kingdom thanks to King Elisar. He is known to have issued an order that forbade the entrance of full-sized men into the Shire, and in the Fourth Age 31, King Aragorn granted Buckland officially as part of the Shire, named Eastmarch, 
and also extended the land westwards to Emin Barade, and this land was named the West March. Just some nearby geographical locations uh, from the Shire. If you head north, you will get to the hills of Evendim. If you head east, you get to Bree, where we all know. If you head south, you hit the Brandywine River. If you head west, White Downs, and eventually the Grey Havens. So, there you have it. The history of the Shire. One of the most beautiful places of Middle-earth, easily. And so now you've probably heard um, a ton of new names of people and places and even battles in this lesson. But again, don't worry, we'll cover them, I promise. It just becomes a never-ending rabbit hole if we try to get them all done at once. And it'll be like 15 episodes in by the time we even leave the first chapter, which I guess some people wouldn't have a problem with, but I also want to kind of keep it moving at the same time. So we'll eventually go down those rabbit holes and get into the Battle of Bywater, and then I'll, you know, add even more people and more groups like the ruffians and so on. And next episode, we will be going over Mr. Frodo Baggins. All right, so now on to listener questions. Our first question is an interesting question. Uh, I wanted to add it into our first episode since that's probably the one that most people will try out because I want most amount of people to hear it. And hopefully I can give a good enough answer. First question comes from Derek Reed and is, How would you respond to someone who says the Lord of the Rings is just for kids and they need to grow up? Alright, so <laughs> I there's a lot to get into on this one. Um, first off, Tolkien himself said the Lord of the Rings was for adults. The Hobbits was originally for kids. And then because of the success of Lord of the Rings, he connected the storylines. Usually, from my experience, it's older people who you know, live these overly busy lives of doing what they think an, a, a quote-unquote adult is supposed to be doing or what they're supposed to be like. So I don't take it too much to heart. Um, they have their own fantasy things that they like that aren't real whether it's, you know, reality TV or, you know, something totally different, a different version of fantasy, but it's not real nonetheless. So, like, whose standard are we going off of, of what's okay, what fake things are okay for an adult to get into, um, and what are, you know, the things that aren't. And it's, it's really just people growing up in a different era and probably won't understand, like, me, I wanted to be originally a video game artist and get my degree in that so I could like draw out the characters and do all that stuff for video games. And if any time I told anyone that that was like above a certain age, they all kind of gave me a weird look. Like, I don't know, like it's not something that an adult should be doing or wanting to do, like just drawing for a living or I don't know what it was. And it's just a general generational gap, um, which is basically impossible to go up against. And Tolkien himself uh, was just, as many know, an incredible author, author, and had a limitless imagination. And so, just to be able to like read these stories and get much better understanding of them as an adult, uh, you just get so much more out of it anyway. And let's see, it's referenced in like countless TV shows and movies. I know like The Office, Stranger Things, and other movies like the interview and just like you can't not <laughs> watch something and not have some kind of Lord of the Rings reference in there 
And I'm not sure something that was just a book for kids or something would be that widespread and referenced so much. And it has such a massive fan base. Wow, cannot talk. Massive fan base that like something doesn't get that widespread and successful because only kids like it. And I mean, if you're reading the book too, which chances are these people never did, um, it gets pretty graphic at times. Like if you go into the appendices and it talks about Azog killing Thror, where he beheaded the guy, carved his name into his head, and then threw it at, I think it was like his brother or son or someone. And then they chopped up his body into little pieces and fed it to the crows. Like, I don't know many kids books uh, that have stories like that in them. And then, I mean, Grima and Saruman, I know if you watch the extended edition of the movies, you see Saruman's death where Grima, you know, he gets insulted and he runs up and he starts brutally stabbing him in the back. And then Legolas shoots Grima and Saruman falls off the Tower of Orthanc and gets impaled by a giant, like, three-foot spike. But in the book, it's a little different because we have the scouring of the Shire. But even so, it's like Sauron's walking away. Grima runs up behind him, tackles him, or jumps on his back, pulls his head back, and slits his throat, and then runs off and gets taken down by a bunch of hobbit archers. And it's like, <laughs> these are... I mean, it's not, like, bad. Like, it's not like you can't head this, hand this to your 10-year-old kid and be worried about what he's going to read but i mean it's not like specifically for kids it's definitely like a just a wide range book that kind of appeals to all people and yeah basically long story short those are just probably really boring people who are trying to live up to some completely subjective standard of what they think an adult should be like and have in their head and just this idea of like oh i'm an adult so i'm supposed to be busy i don't have time for stuff like that and being busy equates to being successful. And as anyone who's known me for a while has heard me say, most people are just running in place where they're doing a lot of work but not actually getting anywhere. And it's just like their desperation to be a real adult and be successful kind of overtakes everything and they give up all their hobbies and everything that made life fun and tolerable in order to kind of put on this facade and look like I'm just a successful adult and I don't have time for things like that. So they'll just find any way they can to dismiss it. You're not going to be able to undo that mindset, unfortunately. Sorry to say. Second question. Um, we only have two questions this week. Are the Barrel Whites similar to the Army of the Dead and are there spirits as well? And this question comes from Amy Greaves. Uh, short answer is no. Long answer. Uh, Barrow Whites are actual physical beings uh, that are just possessed by an evil spirit. Uh, legitimately, if like if you watch Game of Thrones and you're a Game of Thrones fan, they're literally White Walkers. Basically, just the corpse of a dead person. And the Barrow Whites usually was like a king or someone high higher up in royalty. And it's just a corpse that's reanimated by an evil spirit and their eyes even had that little kind of soft blue glow to them and it's they're more kind of like a zombie basically the army of the dead are actual spirits of dead people who are cursed if you you know we get this the explanation of that story in both the book and movie and you know they were 
because men were cursed to never find rest and death includes you know finding rest although it might not be the most ideal way so their curse is basically what's keeping them alive uh their bodies have gone away but their spirits are still there because the curse is holding them there and that's when we see you know aragorn releases them and their little ghostly figures kind of disintegrate uh, so they are more like a ghost and the barrel whites are more of like a zombie basically all right so last bit of notes before i let you go if you do want more content, feel free to follow our Facebook page, Minas Tirith Archives, History of Middle-Earth, and we do have a group now uh, that's just History of Middle-Earth podcast. You can find it on the page itself, too. Uh, there's direct links. I can teach you, take you either way. And we have some content on there that won't make it onto the podcast until later on. So if you are looking for someone or someplace in particular... Check out the page because we may have done it already since it was following along the other podcast for a while. And everything on the page will eventually be on the podcast, of course. Uh, we're just starting the podcast from the very beginning. I know it kind of sucks because I want to dive into all my favorite places like Faramir and Helm's Deep and the Easterlings and all that. But unfortunately, I have to be patient. And again, some of these topics have been covered on the page already. Also, be sure to check out our Patreon page. Uh, we have a few different tiers there, all of which, even the very bottom one, will actually get you access to our bonus episodes that will cover a bunch of different topics and connect history to Middle-earth. Uh, like the first episode, we're going to be going super in-depth uh, about archery all through the Middle Ages and all those times, and then archery all throughout Middle-earth and the different bows and stats and everything about the people in Middle-earth and kind of connect them all together. And then... We're going to go on to other fun topics that so we're going to go about. We go on to dragons, both Middle-earth and then just kind of like the myths and legends and everything we know about them in our time. Um, we're going to go into siege weapons and castle defenses and becoming a knight and all sorts of different cool topics that I hope you all really enjoy. I'm super stoked to get into some of these and I hope you guys will be too. Well, that is it for now on this week's episode. If you like it, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review to let us know how we did. If you have a big complaint or advice, it would be much appreciated to you know, give me the opportunity to fix it. Most times people just leave a crappy review and then disappear, and then the podcast fixes it, but they're still stuck with the crappy review. And we're st I'm still getting all this stuff kind of worked out. I'm not recording the original way I was supposed to, where I have a much better control over my audio. So I'm sorry if this sounds very boring and mundane and uh, monotone. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, so hopefully I can get all these kinks worked out and be able to control the audio the way I want to and just get all sound in general to be much better. Uh, so I am working on that and I am very open to your, your guys' ideas and whatever will make your listening more enjoyable. Uh, if you have something you want to add in, like we should add this into the episodes because it would be really cool, definitely let me know. I do want to make these episodes a little longer. I think we're at like a little over half an hour right now. So I want to add as much content as possible. And again, any uh, ideas, questions, advice, whatever, uh, you can send in to our email at ministeriathearchives at gmail.com. And don't forget to swing over to an unexpected podcast and give those guys a follow as well if you haven't already. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you guys back next week. Until next time, I'm your host, Phil, and you're listening to the History of Middle-Earth Podcast.
according to need. The only four-nor... Wow. Four-nors. If you head south, you hit the Brandywine River. Wow, words are so hard right now. 